0: Canucks Central Wednesday. It's Dan Riccio and Satiar Shaw in the Kintec Studio, and yes, a lot to get to today on the program. NHL trade deadline coverage is brought to you by Maui Jim sunglasses. Born on the beaches of Hawaii, Maui Jim sunglasses are designed with polarized plus two lenses. That protect eyes from harmful rays and enhance the view. Try on a pair and see for yourself. The Vancouver Canucks today sat, I would say, uh, shocked the hockey world. <laughs> At precisely 1.47 p.m. this afternoon, the Canucks and Red Wings sent out a notice that they had completed a trade. The Canucks acquiring Philip Haronic, right shot defenseman, 25 years old, and a fourth round pick in the upcoming 2023 NHL entry draft in exchange for the first round pick that originally belonged to the New York Islanders acquired by the Canucks in the Bo Horvat trade and a second round pick in the upcoming NHL entry draft. That belongs to the Canucks and is slated to be a top 40 selection in the upcoming draft I have a lot of thoughts I know our listeners have a lot of thoughts yes I I need you to tell me what exactly is the thinking here because I and I know a lot of others (laughs) are confused as to what exactly the Canucks are thinking outside of hey this is a really good right-shot defenseman, it, Like it can't just be as simple as that. Like They need a lot more pieces than just a right-shot defenseman to get this thing back on track.
1: Well, it's clear. I mean, there's a lot of things this organization need, undoubtedly, right? I mean, we're talking about this is a piece they believe clearly right-hand defenseman, 25-year-old, will step in, be part of the core, and, and solves at least one big issue for them. And the one thing I will say, And anybody who's listened to this show knows that we've been harping on a lot of different things. But one of the things we harp on consistently and make the point about consistently is how hard it is to find right-hand defensemen. Mm -hmm. The the most scarce asset and commodity in the National Hockey League is a right-hand defenseman. Specifically, a right-hand defenseman who's top four and can actually play and give you something in a positive way. Philip Horonic this year has played not only in a top four at a top four level, he's played at a top pairing level. Those are hard players to find. There's a question about, is he this player we've seen this year? Is he more like the player we saw last year? Which is still a top four guy, but what is he truly? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I think a lot of similar questions are asked about a guy like Jacob Chikrin. He's good, but what is he truly? Is it worth giving the price you give up to acquire a Chikrin, given that maybe he's a top four guy, maybe not a top pairing guy, right? Similar questions I think with Horonic, but he's a right-hand defenseman organizationally, from what I can gather, they look at it as, and everybody knows this, that they flipped Horvat in a second, and the remaining pieces is what they got back in return. They really wanted to solve the right-hand defenseman situation. And we heard this going back to last year with JT Miller trade rumors. Who were the players that they were after, we heard? Braden Schneider, right-hand defenseman, righties, that's what they've been looking for. Haven't been able to get them. So this, in their way, is like we were looking for the righty, we had to make 3D moves to get that guy and this is how we got our right hand defenseman and this is the price that it costs to acquire that player and the second makes sense because we got raw two back that's how they view it in Pavilion right and they're not done Dan from what I can gather they have a lot more they're trying to get done by the deadline and to yeah. me unless more gets done I don't know how it makes sense I want to see the rest because clearly now you're over the cap next season yeah. more has to happen whether it's trades and OEL buyout whatever it is there's so much more that has to happen but they're trying to get a lot more done by Friday. However, however, I don't think one of those players is going to be JT Miller. Okay.
0: So a lot of the smoke around JT Miller uh, is
1: media-driven. I mean, I'm not going to say his name hasn't come up. It has. His name has come up, right? It's it's very obvious it has. He's just not imminently being traded. And the sense, organizationally, I don't think is he's going to get traded. Like I don't organizationally there's isn't a sense around JT being likely traded right now. Yeah. So I don't foresee it. Here's the thing though.
0: Um, if you're acquiring Philip Horonic, you're not trading JT Miller. <laughs> it makes no sense to trade JT Miller. It makes no sense to trade Thatcher Demko. It makes sense to try and clear out money so that you can maybe do out and and go ahead about doing some other things to upgrade your roster. But it's another situation, Sat, where they're obviously not taking any sort of a long-term view. And by long-term, I don't even mean three to five years. I'm just asking, can you not show patience for a minute or two? Like, does it have to all happen right away? You are a year away. And Jim Benning did the same thing when he went out and acquired OEL and Connor Garland, you're a year away from salary cap flexibility and opportunity. Take your top 10 draft choice, take your lumps for a year and do with that what you will. But now you've got some flexibility to add meaningful pieces to this roster. And you've just added a top 10 prospect. Nope. That wasn't going to be the plan because the plan needed to be, well, we got to be better than we were last year. So let's go out and get Oliver ekman Larson and his albatross of a contract and we'll pay a ninth overall pick for Connor Garland, I guess, who was a 60-point pace player at the time. And we'll get rid of three expiring deals in Louis Erickson, Jay Beagle, and Antoine Roussel. All were terrible contracts that Jim Benning had given out. This is eerily not, not similar, but... I do see similarities between them. The Canucks, after they make the Horvat trade, they trade Luke Shen. Now you have a couple of extra pieces. Just yesterday, I was happy to see seven draft picks in the first four rounds slated for the Canucks. That lasted a whole 24 hours. Now they still have six. But they have just won in the first two rounds, continuing the time-honored tradition that the Canucks only select once in the first two rounds of the draft over the last three
1: seasons. It was going to be an organizational record. The most picks they've ever had in the first three rounds. (laughs) Or four four rounds. It was going to be.
0: I mean, I looked at the trade and I was like, what? What are we doing? Again? Why?
1: and i think your sentiment is something like the text inbox is full of it right full of the same reaction that you have but it's clear Dan that that the window for contention it's not going to be a long term rebuild here right and and i know and and i get what you're <sighs> saying and even like i, I hey, don't think it had to be a
0: long term rebuild i understand rebuild. what you're saying
1: but it's not it wasn't even going to be 2 years now i thought it was going to be again like yeah. I, I will say this i will say this they want to do more yes and if they actually get more done by Friday, like, do we look at the picture differently? I, I do think there's a possibility here, right? Like, if they do get other things done, and I know people are saying, if you're not trading JT, then I don't care what else you do, right? But I, I just don't foresee that. But if you do get other things done here by Friday, and the picture looks like it makes more sense, you know what I mean? So so, so I do say part of me is, is waiting, because my initial yeah. reaction when I saw the trade, it was... I, I, <laughs> I was flabbergasted, right? Like, I, I was just shocked. I'm like, I was really surprised by the deal. That, that was my reaction initially for, for, from it. And then it's like, when I started talking to people, it's like, no, we're trying to do more. There's more that they're trying to get done. What is the picture going to look like? So, so I'm reserving some judgment to see what the rest of the picture looks like here. Um, but the contention, they're not trying to win the cup next year, but I think they're trying to take a step here, right? Like you have Pedersen, you have Hughes, probably holding on to Demko, right? You're bringing Hironik in now. They probably feel like you have JT, you have Mm Pedersen, at least as your centers for now. They have some wingers they like. Now you have Heronik. Mm -hmm. Now you have Hughes. You have Demko. They feel like maybe if they're one defenseman or two away or or a third line center away. So what do you do, right? Like, what else do you get done by Friday for this to really make sense in the big picture? Because you're over the cap right now.
0: How are you clearing space? You've been trying to trade Connor Garland and Brock Besser for a whole year. For 12 months. We're talking about this going back to the last deadline. You're just magically going to trade them now?
1: I mean, the, my point- I, I will say more term has been moved yes. than I expected. You know, there's so much discussion about this deadline that term's not getting moved. Even guys that are good players, it's hard to move them. We're seeing guys that have two years left, three years left get moved. And guys with big tickets as well, even. So things are... Like Ekholm got moved. Yeah. And it was 4% retention, very minimal retention. Yeah, 250K. Yeah, not a lot. No. So it's... You know, we're seeing deals get moved here. And is is it possible for them to do some things that we didn't think possible by the deadline? Because a lot more is happening than any of us anticipated.
0: Well, I didn't think Philip Peronick was going to be available. It's a player I like. You know, people are making the Eric Branson comparison. No, Philip Peronick is an actually good defenseman here. And now you can make the argument, at least you've got a right shot D to play with Quinn Hughes. And for those that are saying, oh, they overpaid for Philip Peronick, wasn't that much more of a price that Ottawa just paid for Jacob Chikrin... Well, the price for top four right-shot defensemen is not cheap. It's not. I mean, Alexey Romanov was, what, the 13th overall pick last year? That got paid to the Montreal Canadiens for that for that player? Mm-hmm. And he hardly has the resume that Philip Peronic has. So uh, this has nothing to do with the player. It's a good player. It's just about where the Canucks are and where their build is at. And the reason I point out Be aggressive in retooling through next season. Take this deadline and the next one and just focus on really aggressively maximizing your future assets over those two deadlines because you have Myers coming off the books, you have Beauvillier coming off the books, you have Pearson coming off the books, you have money opening up, some flexibility finally opening, naturally opening which is the best way to open up cap space at times because it costs assets generally in this league to open up cap space if you're right up against it. And that's been proven once again here. So as much as all of this is out there and I get why they like Philip Heronik, it's just I keep coming back to what are you seeing that we don't? Patrick Alvina has told us a thousand times in the last couple
1: of weeks we're a 27th place hockey team. Yeah, what,
0: like, yeah, you are.
1: Yeah. Act like it. But they also say they want to add good, good young players. Yeah, they keep saying want to add good young players under 27, 27 year olds, years or younger. Right? He's 25 years old. Yeah. And again, it's a right-hand defenseman. But I also think now we're starting to see some trends here, Dan. And we mentioned the contention thing, and people are texting in and saying, "Don't even mention contention. That means you're a contender." I'm saying you got to start contending now. Like if you if these are the moves you're making, and I don't care what else you do, if you, even if you get more draft picks, you got to start being being good. Yeah. And I mean, like good, good. Like if if you guys think this is a good team, is you guys going to turn it around? You better be right. You better like, not miss the playoffs next n- year. Not just miss the playoffs. Like and, and next year, hey. I, I I'm big on you got to crawl before you walk, right? And I'm not saying you got to win the cup next season. But we're talking about you, you better be co- really competitive next year. And then two years, you better be as there as a contender, yeah. right? That's what you got to start doing. Because we're talking about the clock starting to tick on you guys. You have three more years on Demko. And if you're making this move, that means if you're holding on to Demko, you're trying to take advantage of that to some degree. So you better be good during the next at least two of those years. You better be really good contending in two of those years. But I also th- I think a real trend is emerging here from how this management team operates. Yeah. Number one, we mentioned Rutherford. This organization doesn't hire somebody in, in their 70s. And I'm not trying to be ageist in any way. That's not what I mean. But I mean, you're not hiring somebody who, who's been around for a long time, who is a Hall of Famer, who's never really rebuilt. Never. And is looking at, to do one last thing before he retires in the National Hockey League. That's going to take a five to seven year approach. They didn't hire somebody to, to do a long-term rebuild. Right? So I think that's part of it. And every time this team has opened up some cap space and had assets, they flipped it. Yeah, and it started very early on. They moved Hamannik for a third, acquired Derman for a third. The um,
0: you go through all the moves. Any space they've opened up, they've used it right away. Right away, and it's like they have a plan for it right away. Like even this Hironic deal and something I mean, like, they haven't opened up the space yet to fit in Hironic for it, for next year because even Horvat, absolutely, like they essentially took back all of Horvat or. The,
1: you know they well. They added money. They to next added year.
0: money to next year in yeah. the Horvat trade.
1: Yeah, they did, and now next year they're over the cap. And I think part of it is there's buyout coming. Oel, perhaps we'll see. Oh man! I think the other thing to keep in mind is Pullman and uh, Per Pearson. They might start next year on LTIR as well. LTIR, baby. This organization has oh, living in LTIR for years. You're
0: a basement hockey team and you're playing in LTIR. It just but,
1: doesn't make any sense. Right. It, it could get there, right, in terms of you can use that LTIR space to be to get to the cap next season. But it's a clear trend organizationally now. And something that reporters out of Pittsburgh, and I think it was Josh Yo who mentioned this, it's been pathological almost with Rutherford that even going back to its Pittsburgh days, every time they opened up cap space, they spent it already. They had an idea of what they're going to do, yeah. So they don't just clear space for the sake of clearing it; they're clearing it to do other things. And Rutherford told us, um, and he said it to the media that if they had more assets and they have more space, there are a lot of players around the league they like, they think they can get that they would go after. Clear Keep indication building here. Some assets well, well, they did, and they traded for it. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm just saying, like, I'm just, I'm just yeah. telling you, like, this is the mo, right? Yeah. What they've said they're doing, and now we're seeing the trend. Every time they open up cap space, they're, they're spending it. So if they're getting futures and cap space, they already have a, a mind to what they're going to go and get.
0: So my frustration is because, um, and, and look, I guess I, I fit in a lot of uh, the, the the same mindset as as Canucks fans today after this Roenick trade was made. My feeling is they need to take a bit of a slow approach. I don't think they need to go into a deep, dark, you know, Arizona Coyotes type rebuild. Mm -hmm. But take this year and next and have a strong future focused approach. Let some cap space naturally open up, gather some assets and use them next summer to build around Elias Patterson and Quinn Hughes. But from day one, they've told us what the plan is. Mm -hmm. And it was never to be long-term.
1: Although, I mean, Alvin said, we're not going to turn this around quickly. It's going to take some time. He did say that when they introduced Rick Tockett.
0: So there was some mixed messaging there.
1: Well, I mean, but from Rutherford's... I I guess it's semantics on what you think is a long time or not.
0: I, I was just thinking, at least one trade deadline they'll take a slow approach. Did not.
1: They're not there yet.
0: But they, Rutherford has essentially never said it was going to be a longer-term approach. They've always looked at this and wanted to use the cap space as soon as it opens up, take whatever they can, and add to the team when they have the availability to do it. And if you're making the argument for them, they obviously like Philip Horonic, but there's only so often mm-hmm. that right-shot defensemen become available. 25-year-old, high-end, right-shot defensemen. Yeah. Now, is Hronik a top pairing D man? I don't know. I don't think so. But could he play a top pairing role next to Quinn Hughes? Right. Very likely. Because a lot of players can.
1: Yeah. I mean, I do wonder, though. Like, to me, I don't envision the long term partner for Quinn Hughes being Hronik. No. You still need another right hand defenseman. This isn't done, right? And well, I, see- I would
0: say they, they still need to build out a shutdown pair.
1: Well, there's so much more they got to do.
0: Because think about Nashville. Roman Yossi never played against the ultimate toughs. It was always Eckholm's pair that played yeah. against the biggest toughs. Yeah. And I could view Hughes playing in that sort of a role, too, where you know he takes some toughs, but not all the time. And then sure. you build out a pair behind Hughes that takes those harder minutes away from
1: him. You could do it that way as well. The only thing is, I, I wonder about... I mean, And Heronics actually better defensively, I think, than we were giving... Like he's, I don't think he's just a pure offensive defenseman who has no idea what he's doing in his own end. Like, well, he's, he's not, not going to play
0: top power play minutes, so he's going to have to start getting some points somewhere
1: else. Yeah, unless you finally do end up having two uh, defensemen on your power play like unless you do something creative and change it up again which would go against the, the norm now in the league right yeah but you know we have a lot of reaction on this and <laughs> i like, we have a lots of reaction and chris on <sighs> twitter says um we've seen many examples of rebuilds taking two to three years my point about five to seven I mean, here's the thing though they hired rutherford last year here's one year next year's two years when i'm saying 14 to, months be, yeah like it's it's two. like they're viewing it as two to three years and they started last year this is one year in, next year will be two. So they're thinking of in three years, we're, we're, we're going to contend, but it's not going to be a longer term rebuild, but that's how they view it. Like Clearly, that's how they view it. They want to get better the next two or three years, right? But it's not going to be the same way that we envisioned in terms of just strip down a bunch of picks. And I don't, I don't mean trade Hughes, but like to your point, it's like, let's get a bunch of picks. Let's accumulate the picks in the cap space and be patient for a year and strike when we can. Yeah. That's clearly not going to be the approach. It's not going to be to hoard these picks in space and wait seven months, nine months, or 12 months.
0: I look at Washington and St. Louis and it's look, it's unfair to compare what they've done at this deadline to what the Canucks are doing to some extent until today. Um, but like they had a lot of expirings, some very valuable players. And that is something that makes a lot of sense. You know, they they looked at themselves as fringe playoff teams. Let's maximize these unrestricted free agents mm-hmm. and really retool quickly here around the cores that we still have in place. The Canucks are in a tougher spot because they don't have as many of those unrestricted free agents until next year. Then they have some valuable players that they could move on, get some extra picks, Mm -hmm. and you have the natural cap space opening up. But they did not have the patience to wait that long. Uh, This text is an interesting one, and there are some things happening that we'll get to in just a second, but... Uh, Dan says, just can't win. Whine for a right D, get a right D, complain about getting a right D. People are ridiculous.
1: I mean, it is funny. Like We we, we joked about this because you get a reaction. You get sticker shock too, and you have a reaction yeah. to it, and then you calm down and you start thinking about it. And it's like, well, yeah. <laughs> like we started to show off. It's like, we, we, we've been talking about how hard it is to find right-hand defensemen, how few there are in the National Hockey League. There aren't even 32 actual right-hand defensemen That are actually good in the National Hockey League. It's insane. It's really hard to find good, righty defensemen. So it's gonna cost you something. The argument people are making is. It's not an overpayment. Like, look, this is the price for 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 top top end defensemen. No, it's not. Same thing with the JT Miller trade. It wasn't an overpayment. Yeah. What it was, the question was, is this the time for you to spend those assets for your organization? That's the question. And ultimately, you gotta be right. And I think JT was a player whose value did accrue. Obviously, they didn't trade him. They signed him to a contract instead. But he was an asset who accrued value to what they gave up initially. Is Horonic going to be a player who accrues value, which is a positive? But does he also align with where this team is going? And I hope so, Dan. Like, man, I want to see playoff hockey as much as anybody else. Oh, boy, do we
0: want to see playoff hockey. You
1: know, and, and just be right. You know, if you're making these moves, be right. Please be right. Like, we've seen this before when the team's done things like this and they haven't been right. And we've been sitting here, you know, and it's been like, I wish I was wrong, right? But I wasn't. And here we go again. Like, I just hope they're right. Like, for the love of God, be right about your player assessment. Make the right moves. And if you think you're two years away, then be two years away and be a good hockey team. Because I'm sick and tired of having these same conversations. Rebuild or not, you're not rebuilding, fine. Then be good. For the love of God, be good. Can you be <laughs> good. Be good.
0: They look so far away from being good right now. But the bet is they've got a solid core in place. Make a few po- make a few moves, and maybe you're in a better spot. Yeah. And also, that coaching makes a big difference. Uh, Rick Tockett's got a lot of work to do with this roster. Still, lots to come. Kevin Woodley's going to join us, uh, as will Max Boltman, uh, who covers the Detroit Red Wings. Coming up after five o'clock as well. But uh, some things are happening around the league. Let's go to the trade desk. It's brought to you by Jags Furniture and Mattress, the Lower Mainland's favorite furniture and mattress destination. Visit Jags Showroom in Langley and Abbotsford or online at jagsfurniture.ca. We go to producer Josh Elliott-Wolf. What's on the trade
2: desk, Josh? Uh, first one, Shayna Goldman saying Vladislav Nemesnikov is out of Tampa oh. going to San Jose and hearing that Mikey Asimont is going back for Nemesnikov. That's one. The bigger one, the Vegas Golden Knights acquiring Teddy Bluger from Pittsburgh for a third in 2024 that's according to Elliot Friedman. Uh, Freed also saying they are, the Penguins are clearing room. And <laughs> Earth, friend of the show, saying something is burning with the Canucks and Penguins. Uh,
1: we started the show off by talking about this and saying the Canucks have more going on. They want to get more done. How quickly quickly can they get stuff done? You know, and the sense I got is they believe they're going to get more stuff done by Friday. Yeah, it's only tw- it's Wednesday. There's another forty eight hours to go here.
0: I hope for everybody's sake, whatever's happening with the Canucks and the Pittsburgh Penguins happens soon. <laughs> and I am unstressed, stressed man. For hilarity's sake, I hope it's like a minor league
1: deal. Like two AHL guys moving. First. Sheldon drives on his way to Pittsburgh. I love it. I love the next Canucks trade. It's <laughs> gonna be the most minor trade ever.
0: Canucks and Penguins make a deal. Yeah. Phil DiGiuseppe, No, this is not happening. They can't trade Phil. Don't trade Phil.
2: Would that be a minor deal? Major I, in your I heart. I mean
0: major in my heart, yeah. Just, but but minor in reality. I
1: think they need him for the playoff run <laughs> in Abby,
0: <laughs> And I'm not being I'm not being disingenuous. A great <laughs> playoff player, man. Uh all right. Uh Kevin Woodley's gonna join us. His take on the trade and uh what we're seeing uh from Thatcher Demko after his first game back between the pipes. More on your Canucks next on Canuck Central. It is Canuck Central, Dan Riccio, and Satyar Shaw. We're in the Kintec studio. Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider. Supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintec.net. A lot to still get to. Kevin Woodley is going to join us here in a few moments. Hard to keep up with the... Uh, <laughs> with the... Dunbar Lumber text message inbox as um, it is just refreshing at a rate that uh, is hard to see some of the texts that I had pinned earlier on. But there was a couple of questions on the continued speculation around the Pittsburgh Penguins. And if the Canucks view themselves as being competitive in the short term, why would it make sense to trade a Miller or Besser when they are quote unquote win now type assets, anyways. Um, now, as we've talked about, it seems unlikely that it would be Miller at this point. But even with Besser, the biggest thing, sad, is about the player has underperformed and uh, you need to get his money off the books.
1: And I don't see it like we were talking about this yesterday, too. When we start looking at his fit on this team, where does he fit in? Like the Canucks have brought in three wingers in the past, what, seven months, yeah, and all three have usurped Besser in a heartbeat. On the death chart. Mikheyev, Kuzmenko, Mm -hmm. and Bevilier. Now, wingers playing different positions, but it's very clear they're preferential to Brock Besser, and in terms of how this team wants to play. He doesn't really fit the the player's style, right? And I think Garland, to some extent, falls into the same category, but one thing is true, you can't have both. You can have one player, perhaps a somewhat excess, you can't have two that are excess.
0: Let's bring in our next guest. It is Kevin Woodley, the goalie guru in Goal Magazine and covering the Canucks at NHL.com. Uh, thanks for this as always, Woodley. Um, your take on the Canucks acquiring Philip Horonic today from the Detroit Red Wings.
3: I was just going to ask you: Do, you want, do we want to? Have, does Connect Nation want happy news? Talk about the Atrederenko on his return, or are we <laughs> going straight to like are we uh, right oh, past okay. the goaltending?
0: <laughs> this is a glass hey. half-empty fan base, given how the last number of years have gone. So let's uh, let's start with the heroic trade.
3: Last decade, um, <laughs> no, I'm going to be honest with you. Um, I'll put on the NHL.com hat because we're not talking goaltending right now, unless there's another move coming that's imminent. One of my biggest disappointments is that we're left to speculate because there's no availability um and maybe that's not fair and again i'll take it back if there's something else cooking and the way this trade deadline has been there very much may be and he may be on the phone and far too busy to deal with us idiots in the media but this is now four trades since the last time we heard from the general manager of the vancouver canucks and you know for all the preach preaching that's been done about accountability That's a lot, you know, and and, and listen, it's been crazy. And so, like, benefit of the doubt here, I started looking around, like, how many times has Cal Duda spoke? Well, he's spoken already once this week. He's made multiple trades. Um, You know, there are other organizations that have gone this way. Ken Holland spoke this week as well after the Pugliarby trade. So, you know, again, I'll take it all back if there's something happening right away, mm-hmm. um, but if the plan is as it seems to be to wait till after Friday, given the number of trades that have been made, and and more specifically, you know Luke Shen's a, a fan favorite, so perhaps speaking to that would have mattered. But more specifically, this one, like look at all the questions that are being asked. Um, you know, again, for an organization that was mad about speculation j- just not that long ago and said the speculation led to decisions and blamed it on speculation. I think you, you have an opportunity here to end some of the guesswork over the thought process by speaking to it. And, and like I said, full like, 100% caveat, I'll eat it if we have another announcement in the next like five or six hours and there was just absolutely no way that 15 minutes couldn't have been taken out of the day um, to, to answer a lot of the questions that the fan base and, and us in the media have about this trade. So beyond that, I don't know the player. And with every, like, my sentiments would echo what everyone else is saying. The, the, the timing, given where this team is at, is curious, and yet it also matches. I heard you saying this just a minute ago, Reach. Like, they kind of told us this was coming, right? And I think, you know, when they talked about the age gap, which, which I think a lot of people were irked by because we heard it a lot from Benning, the difference would be, you hope, that this group can do a better job of identifying talent and reclamation projects in that age gap that Philip Peronik is going to be a lot better than Derek Pouliot was, right? Who, you know, the previous regime gave up uh, a high pick for because, or had to give up assets for, I can't remember what the pick was, but gave up an asset that people wondered whether, why, and the answer was, well, because he's a former first-round pick. Um, So you hope that the talent evaluation has taken taken a step and that we're looking back on this in a few months or in a year and going, now we get it. This guy is the right side right shot defenseman that they've needed and it makes perfect sense but now for now um i think maybe people got i don't know optimistic or hopeful or i don't know if those are the right words but i think people started to think as as some of these other deals went down that you know maybe they had slidden away from the thought process they'd articulated in terms of filling out the age gap and finding reclamation projects maybe they were just going to load up on traffic Mm -hmm. and cap space and they never really articulated that to us again haven't spoken in a while and i think people maybe started to hope that was the case and lo and behold today really is just what they told us they were going to do and there will be people that are disappointed by that unless Philip philipronic is what they clearly think he is and becomes worth the price
1: they just paid. And I'd even say, even if he is what they think he is and it is worth the price they paid, does it still fit the team being successful? Because JT, you could easily make the case, he was worth the price they paid, he's been living up to what they thought he would be and more, better player than any of us thought, but the team wasn't successful, right? So it goes more to them right. than just the player being good. So I'm with you on that, Kevin. But yeah, like the rest of the team has to be good. And I do think we are starting to see some trends here, and I'm really curious to see what happens by Friday. All indications are that they're trying to do a lot more by Friday, and maybe it does make more sense to us here. But for it to make more sense, we're going to start seeing money come off the books, don't we? Yeah, and again,
3: and again, that's, there's the caveat. Uh, I'll, I'll eat what I just said about not speaking to the media after four trades this week, yeah. like it's been four trades since they last spoke to the media for management. Um, if there's more coming, and it was imminent, and it was worth waiting because other organizations haven't behaved this way. And like I said, this has been a crazy week, but I don't remember. You know, I, I don't. I can't remember ever going through this many transactions and not hearing from management in this city at least. Um, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, that was that's been the goal is to, the stated goal is to free up cap space, and they mm-hmm. did by moving Horvat. Um, and that's you know pretty much gone. So we'll see. Obviously, we've heard a lot about you know Besser, uh, who spoke today about how hard and and, and quite honestly uh, and openly about how hard this has been, how much harder this year has been to block out the noise for him in the past little while, uh, um, and how you know what was supposed to be a nice relaxing day off very quickly became not so relaxing as his name was tied to Pittsburgh. Um, you know, the, the, the personal and human impact that that's having as well as on performance, as well as a distraction on Brock Besser, he spoke to that. So, you know, we've heard Garland's name. Uh, Obviously there's a lot of talk about, about, about JT Miller and clearly on the back end, there are, there are some contracts that you'd like to move on from. And yeah, if you can, whether it's now or in the summer or certainly by Friday, then maybe our answers and some of the questions that we have about the decision today change. But right now, I think we're left with, you know, more questions than answers. And I just can't help but wonder if, if, if some of that's somewhat needless. And, and some of the criticism becomes somewhat self-inflicted just because of that, you know, unwillingness or not having the time to speak to it. Because the last time we did talk to him, I thought the answers were good. Like, there was a command and a presence. Um, and, and I wouldn't say not a clearly articulated Plan laid out, but certainly I thought a better job of of the plan laid out the last time than we've heard in a while, and I guess maybe like a lot of people, I'd like to hear more of it at this point.
0: Kevin Woodley, our guest here on uh, on Canucks Central. Uh, the Penguins continuing to clear cap space. Mark Friedman and Brock McGinn officially assigned to the Wilkes-Barre-Scranton Penguins. So uh, we'll see if a trade is in the works. Uh, the long-rumored trade between the Canucks and Penguins going back uh, not just the last 24 hours, but the last year.
3: <laughs> if, if they're going to do this, can we get it done before i got a beer league game tonight? Because Not only will I be eating those words, it's going to really be hard to type.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And you know what else? Like this week is also very difficult on like the personal life. Like try try to do something with the partner and constantly be on your phone. It's it's not, but you you always impress the point. It's it's deadline week, but it's it's very annoying to the people around you this week, isn't it, Kevin? (laughs) Well, hey,
3: not only that, but on the actual deadline day. Yeah um Still don't really have like there's no media room at rogers arena so i'm not quite sure how that's actually even going to work because there's other teams in town right mm-hmm. like so um we don't just have one team in town covering the uh trade deadline we've got multiple so it's going to be a really interesting day
0: uh yeah the leafs uh in town friday and uh playing saturday at rogers arena uh, okay so thatcher demko your take on uh on his first game back
3: Yay, happy news. (laughs) Um, Certainly, uh, maybe they didn't ease him back in outside of the first few minutes. Um, I would suggest five breakaways in the first half of the game, maybe not the best way to return your goaltender off a a significant groin injury. Um, But as he said to Murph after the game, uh, and I thought it was the perfect final answer, right? Like he knows he's healthy now. Uh, and he's talked openly about some of the anxiety he faced going into that game had a good discussion he talked about it today in the scrum but then had a good discussion with him afterwards just because you know every young goalie or and, and as you hear every even established professionals go through that uncertainty that anxiety and so he gave me some really good tips for young goalies that I'll that I'll use at Ingle Magazine on, on how to manage it how do you how do you cope with big moments and stressful moments and how do you get past that and through it and, Uh, He admitted there were some, there was a few times, you know, especially the breakaway goal where, you know, the way he drifted back into his net, like clearly just time off was an issue there to the point where he could just laugh at it. Um, But I think the fact he survived both the degree of difficulty on some of the tests and the side to side movement required on a bunch of them. uh, I think in particular, like obviously the, the sort of fanned uh, breakaway early that forced him to sort of stop with his right pad and push back and then was missed again and had to go back the other way. And to me, the biggest one was perhaps, I think it was a, it was a pass down low, I can't remember if it was an odd man rush or not, there were so many of them, uh, to Ryan Souter, where Demko's moving left and Suter shoots it back to his right and he's got to fully extend that right pad while moving the other direction. That one was the one where it's like, okay, he's fine he doesn't have to worry about this physically. And so um, good news for Canucks fans and Thatcher Demko that he's able to get through that. Uh, I think being able to play down the stretch here and sort of reestablish his own confidence in his own game is a big step. Uh, It was a big step the other night. I'll be curious to see how hard they ride him here. Um, I have a hunch they may go right back to him tomorrow night and and on Saturday. Uh, I'm not sure if that's the way to go, but it sounds like that might be the way they go. And, and, and I guess the other thing too, is just like, even at that level, even as, as, as many big moments as he's been in, he was open about the pressure he felt on about it and to come through it that way. Like that's a step too, like that's a step mentally for him in a situation he wasn't used to. And all of those experiences help down the road. Maybe it's not the same experience. Certainly, we you're going to hope that it, you know he doesn't have to worry about what it's like to come back after a three month injury down the road. But in pressure environments where you feel anxiety and you feel stress, to know that you have the mental tools, and he talked about working with a sports psychologist on this, to manage those and to get through them. Like every time you survive one of those, it's a building block to, to towards you know we talk about. I always talk about I can look at their game technically and give you an evaluation of where they are between the pipes. But it's really hard to evaluate where a goalie is between the ears. You look for signposts along the way. Do they change their game in big moments? How do they manage it? I think because he was so open about the mental scar tissue, as he called it, that he had to overcome uh, going into the start. And then again today about the anxiety he felt we have a little bit of a window and he came through it uh, really well. Maybe there were elements of his game that weren't as tight as he would like them to be the the way he executes his system. He he mentioned that today, but he managed, he managed to get through it mentally and through that anxiety and through that pressure. And that just bodes well for the future because it's one more reference point that he has between the ears down the road when it's time for another big moment that brings upon those same feelings He knows how to manage them, and and don't underestimate, beyond all the physical stuff, don't underestimate the importance of that for a goaltender, especially one that's going to carry hopes as high and expectations as high as Thatcher Demko has had to, and will
1: have to. Well, I mean, I I think the the, the thing you mentioned is how many starts does he get the rest of the season. They have 22 games remaining. I mean, my hope was he doesn't play more than 10 when you start looking at, you know, what's the value in him playing a ton of games, because i look at it and say for him, obviously he wants to play as much as possible, but in order to be ready for next year, does he really need more than, say, another 10 starts?
3: Uh, I mean, it might be a little more than that. I mean, certainly you're not running him up and back-to-backs, but I don't know that I have that answer, to be honest with you, Sat, no. um, You know, that human nature, the competitive nature, as long as his body feels good, he's going to want to play. Uh, certainly you don't want to run him into the ground, so I, I would argue you don't need to start him any more than twice a week, and I don't know where the math comes out on that in terms of the total number of games on the remaining schedule. Um, but my hunch is they may do more than that. And as long as he's healthy, that may be the plan. And the one part, and I know that, you know, Tank Nation is not going to want to hear that because, you know, he gives up four the other night, but without Demco, they might have lost that game like seven, you know, to four. Like the, the, the quality was just through the roof in that game. Um, it was like they regressed. It's like they welcomed him back by playing how they did before he left. <laughs> yes. um, but, you know, like Rick Talk had talked about it a little today. Like, you know, in terms of the work he's doing and the things he's trying to get the team to buy in on uh, defensively and structure and a lot of the catchphrases that we've heard from him and management since making that change, there's sort of a requirement of like for the players to see results from it. Right. And he talked today, Rick did about the confidence that a group gets, um, you know, from that type of goaltending that you can only get from that type of goaltending. And so, um, you know, if he values it that much in terms of getting buy-in from how guys are playing in front of him, because if you're doing all the right things and the puck ends up in the net anyways, that can be deflating. It can also be harder for a coach to get you to continue to do the right things. Also, if the puck ends up in the net and you're chasing games, well, that's where you're more likely to break that structure to try and chase offense to play catch-up, right? So um, all of those elements could lead to Rick Tockett wanting to see more of Thatcher Demko than maybe the fans in Vancouver do. So I think they have to be careful not to play him into the ground. You don't want to play the wheels off him. That's how we got to this point last season. But is that backing him off, you know, to the degree you're talking about, 10 out of 22? I, I kind of doubt it's that. We'll see where it comes out, but I kind of doubt it. I think you'll see him a lot more than that.
0: Dan Riccio and uh, Satyar Shah, Kevin Woodley, our guest. Uh, so we have seen a goalie trade, and Jonas Corpusalo is an L.A. king. Jonathan Quick is part of the deal that goes back the other way to Columbus, uh, it's a weird one to see Quick not play for the LA Kings here, but um, I well, guess LA yeah. just really needed to to upgrade their goaltending. What do you think of the fit with Corpus Allo there?
3: Well, I mean, in terms of upgrading the goaltending, um, you know, like Jonathan Quick's a legend, obviously, there. has had an incredible career, but um, you know, his adjusted numbers this season, you know, um, there's only a handful of guys that had, that had that, that had worse numbers. And, you know, one of them was fellow Kings goaltender, Cal Peterson, who's been in the minor leagues. Uh, his adjusted save percentage is like almost minus 4%. Like, that's that's bottom of the league. Um, like I said, in addition to Pat Peterson, you know, the other two guys below him on this season in a much smaller sample aren't in the league either anymore. Like, Alex Nedeljkovic had that kind of year, and he's in the American Hockey League. So, they needed help in goal. Even, even Phoenix Copley coming in um, and sort of stabilizing things, still running a negative expected save percentage. Uh, Corpusalo, it's interesting. Since December 9th and don't forget, because I've seen a lot of this, like goaltending is voodoo. Look at his last two seasons, and all of a sudden he's having a good season. Um, nobody understands it. Well, yeah, like because he had hip surgery in the off season, and so he was playing through limitations in his physical abilities and his ability to move and 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 move properly because of the impingement that needed surgical repair. And my understanding is he had been playing through that for years. So that's a big part of – Corpocello has always been a guy that a lot of goalie people, including Ian Clark here in Vancouver, have, have looked upon quite highly, and it's nev- never really happened for him. And I think part of that over the past few years is playing through that hip issue. And so that's gone. And after a bit of a rough start getting used to a body that works this season – since a tough outing, I think it was December 9th, he had a really tough like three-on-nine and got pulled, and his stats were you know barely at expected. But since then, guys, since December 9th, his adjusted save percentage is easily top 10 in the NHL. It's ahead of guys like Shesterkin and Sorokin and even Soros. Like, he has played really, really well. And yeah, two and a half months is a small sample, um, but when you combine that with the pedigree and the skill set that a lot of goalie people have always seen, you're going to have optimism that he can... You know, that, that that's the guy he is, and that's the guy we're getting in L.A. And at the very least, he appears to be an upgrade. In terms of fit, uh, the only two areas that he struggles this season statistically are breakaways, and good news, the L.A. Kings give up fewer expected goals yeah. off breakaways and partial breakaways than any team in the league, and screens. Now, screens an area where the Kings have actually struggled, so that'll be interesting to see if it continues to be a problem for Corpusello there. The biggest question I have, when I look at goalies being traded at the deadline, there's a checklist. And one of the things I need on that checklist is, has he been traded before? And this goes back to Ryan Miller from Buffalo to St. Louis Mm -hmm. and the shock of your first trade and having to learn new personnel. It's not systems, it's personnel and tendencies that takes a while. And guys who have never had to do it before tend to struggle more with it the first time. That's a big box that Corpozala doesn't check. We'll have to see if they can get him up to speed and comfortable behind that defense in a hurry. And I think the pressure of replacing quick and the shock of that for the team is going to increase some of the pressure that Korpisalo feels. And he's kind of got that typical finish, water up a duck's back mentality. You know. But Ryan Miller certainly felt that in St. Louis, the expectation he was going to be the final piece. And that can really weigh on a guy. And in the case of Korpisalo having to replace a franchise legend, no matter how much that legend had struggled, You know, it adds another question mark Um, as much as he fits statistically. There, you know, this is the mindset stuff. You can't see in between their ears. And there are some questions there about how he handles those aspects of it that I don't have answers to but they certainly come with risks.
1: Uh, Kevin, great as always. Before we let you go up against the clock a little bit, but uh, w- another goalie that could get traded by now on Friday, is there somebody you're keeping an eye on? I know everybody talks about Jonathan Quick being that guy because he's clearly unhappy with the trade. And, and Do you see another candidate who could be intriguing?
3: Uh, Quick and Reimer are the names we hear the most. Corpusala was a name that I had out there as well. Uh, the one I think everybody's overlooking is Kevin Lichen, uh, with the Nashville Predators. has had a very good season. Barely played the last little while because they're running UC Saros into the ground for a second straight season. Although I guess if they're, they're, they're putting the white towel right now, we'll, we'll see less of it. But Kevin Lankinen has transitioned from behind a very bad Blackhawks team for years. Uh, he's a guy who knows pressure situations, won a world championship with Finland. He's posted some really impressive underlying sort of adjusted save percentage numbers when I look at clear sight. And I think behind the right system with the right expectations, a guy who's at least changed teams once in his career um, you know, he could be a sneaky, another guy that's an unrestricted free agent on a low ticket at the end of the year. You know, he, he'd be my next Corpusalo. I don't hear anybody talking about him, but if I was a team looking for an insurance policy in particular, he's a name I'd be considering.
0: Woodley, you're the best. Uh, the, the people want to know, though, where you're playing tonight so they can come and heckle you.
3: Oh, the, yeah. If you want to see the <laughs> ultimate example of this guy talks like he knows what he's talking about but can't do it, um I'm not going to tell you where it is. (laughs) EPS tonight. Yeah, it'll be a goaltending show. A how not to video by Kevin Woodley.
0: Love it. Uh, Thanks for this, Woodley. Thanks, guys. Uh, There he is, Kevin Woodley. uh, One of the best in the business, as always, uh, giving his thoughts on Thatcher Demko and more. And a lot more concerns uh, with the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, All right. uh, There are more trades happening. And this one, super interesting with regards to the Vancouver Canucks as well so let's go to the trade desk with josh Elliott wolf
2: uh elliot friedman tweeting moments ago that pittsburgh's target is mikhail grandland and he is hearing a second rounder is the return mikhail grandland making five million this year in the next two years
0: uh, the Trade Desk is brought to you by Jags Furniture and Mattress, the Lower Mainland's favorite furniture and mattress destination. Visit Jags showrooms in Langley and Abbotsford or online at jagsfurniture.ca. So uh, if Pittsburgh is eating up their cap space with Mikhail Granlund.
1: You know, one thing I mentioned yesterday, mm-hmm. how much of the stuff out there about JT is smokescreen and what else is at at play. People have been mad at me for 24 hours for saying that you're lying about JT. You know, Pittsburgh was talking to Vancouver and Vancouver was offering JT. And I'm not disputing anybody's reporting. All I was saying was my info from Vancouver is they were never close with JT. They weren't trying to move JT to Pittsburgh. I wonder if all this is because they're onto something else. Yep. And now Mikhail Granlin goes there. Mikhail Granlin and JT Miller are nothing similar as players. Nothing similar at all.
0: Nothing close to similar. Uh, and Pittsburgh seems to uh, have got their man. The cap space that they opened up and uh, we have I guess downplayed a little bit over the last 24 hours the mm-hmm. uh, discussions between the Canucks and Penguins and uh, it seems like the Penguins were going in a different direction.
1: Yeah and, and the Besser stuff it was pretty clear based on the reporting yesterday and the indication I got that it wasn't going to be Besser going and even Pittsburgh people felt like it wasn't going to be Besser. It was somebody else and it wasn't yep. JT.
0: Canucks uh, do still have a lot of irons in the fire, though. We'll see what else they're able to get done after they acquire Philip Heronick today. Max Bultman covers the Detroit Red Wings. He'll join us next on Canuck Central. Canucks Central, Dan Richo, Satyar Shah. This is hour number two, and this hour is brought to you by Andrew Sherritt Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned B.C. company helping local business since 1892. Uh, we continue to react to the Canucks and Red Wings. Big deal from today, Philip Peronick acquired by Vancouver. They send a first-round pick that belonged to the New York Islanders to the red wings and an additional second rounder in this year's draft as well joining us now to talk about it max boltman uh the red wings beat writer at the athletic thanks for this max how are you
4: i'm good how are you guys
0: uh pretty well uh the the reaction in vancouver is uh a little bit confused to the deal uh what would you say the reaction is from red wings fans on this trade
4: Certainly surprised. I think, uh, you know, Phil Pironik, he, he left the game injured last night, but he's been one of their best players uh, this year. He's having a huge breakout, nine goals, 38 points in 60 games. So I don't think this was the move that Red Wings fans were waiting on, kind of wondering about Tyler Bertuzzi maybe. Um, obviously, you know, Phil Pironik's name has been out there at various times over the past couple of seasons, but uh, it was about two hours after the Dylan Larkin extension drop that this, that this came down. So I would say surprise was the first reaction. Uh, and, and now everyone's kind of trying to sort through the pieces. I think obviously, uh, you know, it's, it, whenever you get, get a first-round pick and a second-round pick, it's a really good return for the Red Wings. But Philip Peronik is plays a big role for the Red Wings, too. He plays almost 22 minutes a night. He's tied for their second-leading scorer on the team. The, you know, no one scored more than him except Dylan Larkin this year. So it is a really interesting trade to kind of unpack.
1: Well, I mean, the – the big question, I think, a lot, I mean, there are a lot of questions, but the one big one that a lot of fans have is a team like Detroit, who's in not too dissimilar a situation than Vancouver, although Vancouver obviously a bit different in terms of where there are, but teams that are kind of, have better days ahead of them, although Detroit's making a nice leap this year, why would they trade away a 25-year-old right-hand defenseman who had a good year and is one of the rarest commodities you can find in the National Hockey League?
4: And we haven't had a chance to ask that to Steve Eiserman yet, but if I had to kind of theorize my best answer would be he is having an outstanding year. He has one year left on a really good cap head. I think at his current hit, $4.4 million, he's really good value. But he's a year away from being due a pretty significant raise. And at that point, you know, he is not going to be their number one right shot. D. They've got more Sider. So he was eventually going to get, you'd figure, potentially $8 million plus. Can you commit $14 million potentially to right shot defensemen or close to that, right? We'll see what Heronica what ultimately gets. That's my best kind of read here is, is the ultimate situation. As you look one year ahead, and, and for your second pair, right, D, uh, which is what he was for them, um, is that really something that you're going to be in a position to, to do and, and build the team the way you want it to? Um, we haven't gotten that, that asked that to Steve Eiserman yet, so I can't really bet that uh, through, through that channel, but um, that was my first reaction. I think that would be my, my best guess. Well,
0: what led to his breakout this year?
4: Yeah, there's been a lot of theories. I think at the start of the year, he was paired with Ole Mata, who may be the most kind of predictable game of any partner he's played with. I think probably opened him up a little bit. He's got a lot of offense in his game. Um, And I think playing with with a predictable partner like Mata, who you kind of know exactly what you're getting. He's really steady. I think that opened things up for him. Um, But, you know, honestly, even though some of the scoring elements didn't stay there when, when he moved on to the Ben Chirot pair, I do think there's other things in his game that have just gotten better. Becoming more experienced in the NHL. He's 25 now. I think his defending this year has been as good as it's been in the league. His last two games, Red Wings fans will tell you, <laughs> were not that in Ottawa, but I think there were plenty of that to go around from the team these last two games. I, I wouldn't say that's a Phil Peronic issue uh, in general. I think that's an area he's taken a step forward in. He competes, he's got a lot of elements. He doesn't have a ton of size, he's not the fastest player, but he's a good skater got a great shot i think you know he's he got certainly compete and I, I think he he brings a lot of elements so um I, I think it's just sort of a time plus maybe role thing that that's accounted for it this year but but there really is a lot that, that goes into him as a player
1: because i think there, there was a time when his defensive game was a pr- pretty uh was criticized quite a bit so yep. in your estimation he, he's taken quite a few leaps the last couple of years and that could
4: be sustainable yeah. defensively And I wouldn't call him like a shutdown D, but I think he's gotten it to a point where he can be called a two way D, right? Like, uh, he he kills penalties. He plays 22 minutes a night, right? Like, he's a legit top four D for me. Um, I I think the offense is still where his best gifts are at. But yes, I think that you have seen, you know, he he had a couple plays against Tampa, uh, against Stamkos the other day, where I thought he did an excellent job against Steven Stamkos in the D zone. So, um, you know, down low one on one situation. So I think that has come a long way, you know. We'll see how how it goes, right? Like you know, in Vancouver, he may, he's playing a different role, right? He's not playing behind Sider anymore, and what does that do? I think he, the times where he struggled in Detroit, it was when he was asked to play closer to 24 minutes a night, and that's a whole other level on those very very tough minutes. But I think in a in the right role, I think he can be a really solid two way two way top four D. Is
0: is the offense mostly power play driven?
4: No, I don't think it all is. I think you know power play. It's kind of interesting because he's got this big shot, and I think that's how people view it as that, but. Um, I, I don't think it has to be power play driven I think you know he's a smart player he can make the right pass um, obviously him shooting the puck creates rebounds um, he's been at, at various points on power play one but at various points power play two I don't think it has to be and I think that's very relevant in Vancouver um, obviously Quinn Hughes is going to be the guy on power play one there um, but it's interesting he's, he's got the one timer that he can uh, he can slot in uh, to, to use that on a on power play in addition to Quinn Hughes if they want him to.
1: Yeah, well, and I think on the power play, that'll be interesting to see if Vancouver does run two defensemen out or not. But in terms of his D partner, you mentioned Ole Mata, who you played with a bit earlier. But this year in Vancouver, there was some question of can he play with Quinn Hughes? Now, Quinn, obviously, more offensive defenseman. In terms of his ideal D partner, what do you think makes sense for him on the left side next to him?
4: Yeah, well, with Mata being the best guy I've seen him next to, I think it is, you know, kind of someone who's maybe. First inclination is, you know, puck moving and, and, and kind of reliable D. They're not trying to lead the rush necessarily. So I don't know if he'd be my ideal pick as Quinn would be my ideal pick for, for Horonic, but I'm also a believer that when you have a player as good as Quinn Hughes, you can pretty much play him with anybody. So mm-hmm. uh, I, I don't think it's like a you know, the archetypal ideal with Quinn Hughes, but I think Quinn is at the level where I don't think anybody's going to be worse putting putting them next to Quinn Hughes, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, no, I know. I get you on that. Uh, moving off Hironic, just kind of getting a sense of where Detroit's going. There, there was a sense for a while that maybe they're going to be like, buyers, right, with being there in the playoff race. Now they traded Hironic. Do we expect them to sell more here, or do a bit of both? Like, What do you think is going to happen with, with, with
4: Bertuzzi? Yeah, I think you know the, the last few games have kind of swung just as quickly as they swung to, like, are they going to buy you lose three games in a row and it can swing right back. And I think especially, <coughs> sorry, um, the way they lost those last two, you know, you, you're talking about making a playoff push, but that was playoff atmosphere these last two nights in Ottawa. And they just didn't look like um, they were ready for that. And, and so, um, yes, I do feel like it, it could be the start of a couple moves they make, but I, I'm not ruling out them also adding, getting a jump start on, on summer business either. Their playoff odds are down to 9%. It makes it tough for me to see them really being true buyers but this could be kind of a, a mixed situation. There's a lot of balls in the air here. We just saw Ottawa, whose playoff odds aren't that much better than theirs, go out and make one of the biggest additions of, of the last month, uh, I guess of the season, we can say, in uh, adding Jacob Chikrin. So it, it will be very interesting the next uh, couple of days. I, I'm curious to see if they intend to keep this pick or if they intend to flip it. I don't know the answer to that as of, as of right now.
0: Uh, Max, we really appreciate the time. Thanks for, thanks for your insights today.
4: Hey, thanks for having me. Take care, guys.
0: Uh, there is Max Baltman, beat writer at The Athletic, covering the Detroit Red Wings. It is interesting. So, Philip Horonic's two main partners this year sat, Olimata and Ben Chirot. When Horonic played with Olimata, uh, they were closer to 50% controlling shots, but the value that they provided in being able to control goals on the ice was massive. 22 goals for just 11 against at five on five. When he played with Ben Sherratt, the numbers were not pretty. Mm -hmm. 41% uh, Corsi for 10 goals for just, and 15 against. So they were negative five at five on five, just doing the quick math there. And the, Scoring chance metrics did not look good either. Now, I'm not here to be on the uh, Ben Chirot isn't actually good sort of train. I think we've all sort of done that uh, going back to last year's deadline and seeing the impact he gave to the Florida Panthers despite the high price they paid. And after getting a decent deal in Detroit, hasn't really panned out there. But... I think it is clear that um you know, finding the right partner for Philip Peronic is going to be interesting for the Canucks. Yeah. And I don't know if it's just plug and play with Quinn Hughes when you don't really have a lot beyond
1: these two guys. No, you don't. I mean, there's so much more that has to get done. Like the, the picture is so incomplete when you look yeah. at this Canucks team right now and, and, and to something if we just look at it in a vacuum, the defense has been improved significantly. Right? The question is, do you have the ideal partners? Because I'm not convinced Hironic and Hughes are going to be your your p- key partnership. But yeah. there's so many different ways to go about building your defense out. But let's say to the point you made, you're going to have another peer, pair be your shutdown pair. Well, who are the two shutdown defensemen you're adding? Because <laughs> they don't yeah. have those two guys on the roster right
0: no. now. No, uh, For next year, it would probably be Oliver... Ekman Larson right now and uh, and Tyler Myers.
1: I think the easiest thing to do, yeah. I think the easiest thing to do, Dan, would be to find another right hand D that's obviously not at the same caliber that can play with Quinn. And then find a lefty that's not at the same caliber as Haronic, but yeah. that can play off of him. Yeah. And I think that's an easier way to solve your issues than to go out and find two really good defensemen that are going to be like anchor another pair together. I think that's too qual- too much quality. I think the Canucks hope, and we'll see what else they do, but just kind of just looking at it from my vantage point, I'm guessing it's easier for you to find two defensemen to play with those guys. Maybe Ethan Bear is going to be who they keep playing with Quinn, which I'm yeah. not sure on, but maybe that's one, right? Do you have a lefty that's ready?
0: You know. So find, um, find a younger version of Luke Shen to play with Quinn Hughes.
1: Yeah. Or, I mean, hey... It doesn't have to be the same physical guy, but a guy yeah. that can play the right side fairly well defensively. A steady stay-at-home guy. Yeah, a steady stay-at-home guy and essentially find a steady... You know what this team also needs? They need a left-handed penalty killer. Yes. They don't have one. Desperately. Right. So you find a defensive guy who's okay defensively and good on a penalty kill. That'll be a partner for Heronic. Yeah. Right? And then find a righty or bear, whoever that can do some of those things as well on the right side, you're playing with Quinn Hughes. I think what the team needs more than anything, and, and maybe they feel like with Hughes being, with Bear being here, that they can re- find a revolving door around Quinn. It's not ideal, but Quinn's good enough where it can work with Bear potentially. It can work with Pullman if he comes back potentially. Yeah. You, can, you can get by with that. My guess would be looking at the pieces, not reporting. Their priority would be to find another lefty defenseman that can play with Hironic?
0: A lefty that can kill penalties. Yeah, um, It's been a big part of... Well, I mean, look, Oliver ekman Larson has been the guy that kind of took a lot of those minutes from Alex Edler. And it hasn't worked. You know, the mm-hmm. Canucks have had a historically bad penalty kill. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the big questions coming up now is, does Horonic's arrival and... Clear need to open up cap space suggests that an Oliver Ekman Larson buyout is more likely today than maybe it seemed yesterday. Sat.
1: say that again. I'm sorry,
0: is an Oliver Ekman Larson buyout more likely today than it seemed yesterday given this acquisition?
1: Uh, I think, so. I think the OEL man, so I, I think it is more likely. I don't know if this deal made it more likely because I keep looking at the cap situation. Even if you didn't make this move, it kind of seemed like you kind of have to make that move. Like, because so before this trade, the Canucks had six point six eight million in cap space for next year. and I'm not I'm not looking at cap friendly. Don't tell me your cap friendly numbers. I'm looking at it like I'm not including Dermot or Krafsov or Ratu. Like I'm not including those guys. Like look at you know the guys are going to be here. So. For next year, even before the Huronic deal, the Canucks had about 6.8 million in cap space for them to fill seven spots, eight spots, which isn't enough. Like just barely getting your guys back. And even that may not be enough. So even without this move, it wasn't enough. Now you're even more above it. So I think, I don't know if this move tells you that necessarily. I think it was already kind of hitting towards that direction. And maybe that's why they're so confident with this. Like I do know they're trying to make other moves, but until you make a trade, it's not a guarantee. You, you can believe all you want until a trade happens that doesn't clear your money. The only thing you can be confident about knowing you're clearing is a buyout. Yeah. If you know you're using a buyout, and that's how you know for sure X amount of money is opening up.
0: If you can clear one of Besser and Garland uh, plus the buyout for OEL, that's you know more than $10 million in space for next year. Yeah. Right? So that would be massive. And even to think of, okay, we're more in a win-now position than we expected to, or <laughs> that's not what I should say. We're in a win-now position. We want to get better in the summer. We want to get better for next year. How are you not looking at the Oliver Ekman-Larsen buyout? I mean, that's, that's yeah. opening up $7 million in cap space. The buyout is never as valuable in terms of opening up space as it is this upcoming offseason.
1: Well, now you're also making, you're already setting yourself up to get better quickly, right? Yes. And, and, and let's be fair, they're not targeting older players. Like a 25 year old right hand defenseman, they're targeting, right? And other players have been younger. Bevilliers 25 at the very least, right? Like we're not talking about old guys, Bear, young players, Stutnika. They are making Josh Bloom prospects. So, so they have been making deals for younger players, right? It's not like older guys, but it's clear that they're trying to get better sooner. Right, like it it is very evident they're going to do that. So the question always was, what's the point for you to buy out OEL to clear seven million if you're not trying to be good next year? Yeah, the only way it makes sense, something that Bick's been talking about forever, is unless you're trying to weaponize that cap space, trade for a bad contract, get a pick or something. You know, like could you do that? But I don't think the Canucks are going to be looking to do that. If they clear the money, it's spend it, and it's they want to spend it on ready-made NHL players in their early to mid twenties, and that's clearly going to be what their target is so if you buy out oel all of a sudden now dan after the heronic um acquisition the canucks would have about 9.5 million in cap space
0: that's just after buying out oel
1: if they buy out oel they would have about 9.5 million in cap space next season and they would have to fill six spots so flexibility now you can fill it out yeah and if you get if you get creative you could have a little bit of money to go and sign a defenseman even if you wanted to yeah. if you wanted to you could do that right that's but without any other moves any other moves if you buy at oel yeah so buying at oel gets you compliant next year and gives you the flexibility to do other things not to mention it seems like Pearson is going to start next year on LTIR and same thing with Pullman now you don't want to be you don't want to be living in LTIR that's not a solution that you want to be yeah. you know be excited about but th- that's how the money can work but you're right that's at seven million. If you're trying to be good, all of a sudden, that's how it makes sense.
0: And uh, look, the buyout is never uh, a great option, but um, you know the penalty to buy out Oliver ekman Larson, two million and change for four years beyond you know his current contract. So he's on the books for another four years It's seven and a quarter, or a little bit above seven and a quarter. But then, if you buy him out this summer. That cap penalty would last four years beyond his current contract.
1: Yeah, and so that's a tough pill to swallow. It but is. It isn't, it to isn't to a
0: massive penalty.
1: You know, the, the penalty. There's two years where it's at over four million. Those are the years where it's going to be hard, hard, right? Yeah. But still, you're still saving about three point two million in space, even with that buyout, because you don't have. It OEL depends on, on how you look at it, right? Yeah. Like, know, at the, like, 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 how do you what, do? You think OEL so bad that you'd rather have a depth player playing, if that's how you feel, then you should buy him out. Yeah. Because you're saving money by having a cheap player being there and you still have some cap space left over. Like if is he that bad, if you feel like OEL so bad that you'd rather have a one million dollar player using his minutes. Yeah.
0: Well it, it goes back to the fit that I think is an issue because you need a more shutdown type left shot defenseman. Mm-hmm. A guy that can play big PK minutes. And OEL is not that. Yeah. unless you're able to find a third pair defenseman that profiles that way. But, uh, you know, they tried that with Danny DeKaiser this past year, and it uh, did not work out. Well, right. And, I mean, it- <laughs> you know, and there's not a lot in free agency. We keep saying this, but, you know, after Larkin signed today and all these other things that are happening, like there's less and less pieces available to you in free agency this summer.
1: There are. I mean, that's why the trade market's going to be important. And where did they start finding? Yeah some of the cheaper players are that are going to come in, right? Like, Heronics on a good deal now, but after next year, you're so going you to have to pay raise. him. Pay him a lot of money. Mm-hmm. You know, so, you know, you're allocating money right now. W- where's the flexibility come from? And that's what we're still waiting on.
0: It's uh, Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. So, a lot to get to still. We're going to have overrated, underrated coming up. And a lot of questions, texts coming in on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Uh, Marcus and Gibsons, do they see Hronick future cap hit being the same as Myers that comes off the books just as Hronik needs an extension? Uh, I would say, you know, he's profiling right now as at least a $6 million defenseman. So he would uh, take over for Tyler Myers' cap hit beyond next year. Um. This text, we've seen a lot of these types of texts. Win now? Are you kidding? This
1: team is screwed. I mean, hey, we can say they're screwed. I'm trying to look at it as like, what can you do to make? How do you make it work? Yes. Right? I mean, c- clearly they're doing something that is not going to be the plan that we're going to be following. They're following a different plan than what you want as a fan, than what we might suggest. They're running the show their way. Just be good. Like I said before, Like, if this is what you're doing, be right about it. You know, like that's what it comes down to. At the end of the day, we can sit here and talk about philosophies, right? And we can sit here and criticize us. And I know we've had a lot of takes about what we would have done and what we don't like about the trades that have happened. But what do we want? We want a good team, a sustainable winner. Are you going to build it this way? I just hope you're right.
0: Uh, They're banking a lot on coaching and their development process, uh, really being able to help fill out some of the spots on the roster. Yeah. They really need Podkolzin, Hoglander, Kravzov, like one of these guys, at least one of them, to really hit. Um, they need to find more defensemen. I don't know where, but you've got to find better defensemen. Of course. I mean, you got to find a Jake Wallman like uh, Detroit has found this year.
1: No, for sure. I mean, you, there's so many things you got to find. Donkey texts in and says, you guys haven't mentioned once about possible pressure from ownership to speed the process. Disappointed. I mean, what are you disappointed in? Yeah, Are you disappointed about what you already knew? (laughs) That this ownership went out and hired somebody who's into the last job of his career, most likely, who's in his 70s, who has never rebuilt? The mandate's never been to rebuild. We know this. They didn't hire somebody who's going to do a rebuild. Every time they talk about, we're trying to turn this around quickly. It's obvious this organization didn't hire somebody that's going to do a long-term rebuild. And that's the mandate ownership wants. Absolutely. In terms of pressure in the moment, everything they've done is management decisions right now. Yeah. Does that mean they're good decisions? No, I mean, you can criticize it all you want, but ownership is letting management do its thing. management is making its own decision. If you're trying to be a playoff team, you sign Bo Horvat. I mean, if you're trying to, like... If ownership is pressuring, they're probably pressuring you to sign Bo, to keep Bo. You know what I mean? So I think these decisions were more about management. But absolutely, Donkey and everybody else, the mandate here has never been a rebuild. They, um...
0: Look, if uh, if ownership wanted a a rebuild, they would have hired somebody that put out a plan, you know, the PowerPoint and big whiteboard of how it's all going to work and how we're going to turn this ship around in three years time. But that was never the plan. You hire Jim Rutherford, you're looking to turn it around quickly. And that's what Jim Rutherford has tried to do. And that's uh, the mandate he set out with as the president of Hockey Ops. And that's the mandate that uh, all of his underlings follow. And that's what we're seeing today with the acquisition of Philip Haronic. It's not a, uh, it does not have a high probability of success, I would Mm -hmm. say. And that's what's very frustrating because it's continued in a long line of moves that don't have a high probability of success for this Vancouver Canucks team. All right, we'll close out the show with overrated, underrated next on Canuck Central.